Good morning, good day, and good evening. I'm as always your host, Brody Robertson, and today we have someone on the show who you may know for many different things, whether it's work on GNOME, whether it's work on portals, Wayland stuff, getting OBS working on Wayland, destroying the meme about the GNOME file picker, many things. Welcome to the show. How about you introduce yourself? Oh, thanks for having me, Roddy. Absolutely. My name is Georges. Um, yes, I think I do many things. <laughs> I noticed you pop up. We can up. talk about that. <laughs> well, I don't know if we'll get to everything, but we'll definitely try to at least touch on most of them. Um, I've noticed you pop up, like, everywhere. <laughs> like, I'll just be going through some, like, re like random things. Like, oh, why are you here? Like, you're, I I've talked about <laughs> you amongst a, a group of other people that... Are these people that are really dedicated to improving FOSS, you all have like these different focuses. Like Neil, for example, is very focused on doing the KDE stuff and like does a lot of work there, but he's also involved in Wayland and these other things. There's people like Dallas Strauss who do a lot of great work as well. And, you know, whilst there are these passing contributors that'll make, you know, a couple of commits here and there, the FOSS world wouldn't be able to function without people like you who are doing like a lot of work to really get things, you know, pieced together and dealing with these problems. Yeah. I don't know how I end up in all of these places. It just happens. Um, but really, uh, people like me are, how can I put it? <laughs> um, we are aberrations. That shouldn't yep. really exist, because <laughs> um, I can tell you with um, with a high degree of certainty that um, if you see somebody in too many places doing too many things, this person is probably on the verge of burning out, or has already done that. I hope um, uh, that's that. I hope that's just a theory and not saying that you are close to burning out. Uh, I, I hope that you. Oh no, I had my my cycles already. Okay. I'm in a good spot right now. Well, that's We're good. In, a, in a fantastic time of the year <laughs> to talk because I'm not drowning in despair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a great way to put it. <laughs> so I guess the best place to start. I, I do this with a lot of people. How did you get started? on Linux. We'll start with how did you get started on there? Do you have development experience before that or do you get started developing when you started using Linux? Like how did you really get started in this world? This is a fun question. This is a fun I think this is an interesting an, an entertaining story for the viewers mm -hmm. of this podcast, of the listeners of this podcast. Um, um my story with computers is long. Um like I started using computers I was a super small child. And back then, um, computers here in Brazil, the computing world was mostly offline. Mm. Um, so you had to have CDs and those, I don't know how, how to say that in English, those, um, we called it diskettes. Diskettes. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, not sure if that's. Mo most of my audience are like mid 20s, so some of them may not know. Uh, I can bring yeah. you. <laughs> um, right. They sort of look like floppies. Well, they are a floppy disk. Floppies, yes. Yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. word. 
that's the word I was looking for. I, I for some reason, my uh, brain thought a diskette and a floppy were a different thing. No, no, they're not. It's floppy. Are exactly the same thing. Um, essentially, it's the, the thing. Save that icon. Our nails have more memory capacity than that. Those things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it was mostly offline. And when I was a kid, we managed to get some like computer carcasses on the street, they were just thrown away and we mm -hmm. got and grabbed a bunch of like memory slots, memory um, processors that were broken and we just, um, I was just playing with them in three different carcasses of computers and trying to figure something out, something that when I pressed the power button wouldn't smell like burnt chips. <laughs> um, then eventually I found like a combination that had like 200 megabytes of memory, one super shitty processor and whatever, and it needed an operating system. Mm -hmm. What I was going to put there, I didn't have any money. I was a kid. I could not buy a Windows license. It did not have a CD reader mm -hmm. that not even sure I can call that a machine, a computer. <laughs> <laughs> that thing didn't have a CD reader. So I went to a local place. I had um, like a local technician had a bunch of floppy disks with um, Slateware. I think it was 20 oh, floppy okay. disks. And I installed Linux for the first time. I was back in 2003, I think. That's a really three. late time to be using Slackware. Wow. Yeah. I guess it makes sense. I had no idea. Yeah. It was a really rough experience, I can tell you. <laughs> it was a time... I don't think people hearing this will, will even be able to empathize, but it was a time where you had to recompile the kernel if you wanted to enable USB. Um, Sorry, what? Yes. <laughs> Dynamic kernel module loading is a thing of the recent times. Mm -hmm. It's a modern kid's technology. <laughs> and then I started learning programming because I, I, I looked in the internet. It was a... Um, dial-up connection. Mm -hmm. It was super fun. Every distro that I wanted to test took like a week to download. Super fun. When you're when you're young and you're when you're a kid and you have lots of free time, this is super interesting to do. Like it's yep. massive and expensive toy that I didn't have to pay because of everything was on the street, literally on the sidewalk and I grabbed it. <laughs> and yeah, so I just looked how how to write an EXE program, because that's what I thought programs were. Oh, right. And Yahoo Answers had a, the first answer was like, you have to learn the C programming language. So I started learning at a very, very early age. I was nine at the time. So you did, C programming language. So you did at least have knowledge of Windows at that point then. It's just you yeah. didn't have a system yourself. Yeah. Okay, okay. It is about that long that I haven't used Windows in my <laughs> in my in any 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 one of my devices. I just learned C and then it is very natural when you're wanting to study and explore and do things and you're already using Linux. Using like learning a programming language and contributing is just natural free software is excellent for people studying these things. So number two um, rule of the GPL license, right? The right to study, something like that. 
yeah, that's how basically how it, I got into programming. Wow. And a few years later, I saw like a project in GNOME called GNOME Calendar. Okay. A super young project. I was contributing with translations to GNOME. I originally started contributing. Um, I wrote lots of GTK programs before, mm -hmm. like personally, on my local system, and never published anything. And I saw this little project called GNOME Calendar. I was like, mm, this is this is nice. I like calendars. <laughs> then a the project, the, the person, the author of the program started, um, stopped publishing comments, and I was like, no, this project's not going to die in front of me like that. So I started sending code as well, and that's how it all started. The beginning of the um, post-collapse apocalypse story starts here. <laughs> So, the what a you know of all the things to get like started on, it was the calendar. If we look at the repo today, you are right at the top of the contributor list. Yeah, it's still my little baby. I'm still working on it. After uh, how long? I don't know. Ten years? Mm -hmm. Nine years? Oh, and you pushed Been something a long time. just an hour before you got here. Oh yeah, I just. Before this, before this um, interview, and I don't know when it's reaching people, but before we were recording this, I released GNOME Calendar 41. I started GNOME, uh, sorry, 45.1, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and started the new release cycle. Okay. 46.alpha. Mm -hmm. I had to speedrun because I forgot it was this Saturday that I had to do that, and I forgot about it. And <laughs> I was like, oh shit, I have to do this right now, and, and publish it. <laughs> So, why is it that... Okay, so obviously you found your way to GNOME Calendar, but when when was that? If you recall, uh, roughly. Uh, probably around 2013. Okay. So, or, yeah. obviously Something there's like been that. like a lot of time between then, but why did you decide... So, were you using GNOME at that point and have you like actively used other environments or has it been primarily living within this GNOME environment? Mm, I think I used KDE back in the KDE three days. Mm -hmm. um, and then like the thing that got into got me into GNOME, I got into GNOME like by the early 2.0 days. Um, it was even probably before Ubuntu was even released. Um, and then Ubuntu came in with a really different value proposition of making that super annoying and complicated Linux space a little less terrible. And they were using GNOME, so I just used it for a couple of releases and then moved to, I think I, I moved to Arch in like 2006 and then never, never left that. Um, but yeah, I basically used some things here and there and then went to GNOME and then started doing things and forgot about GNOME as a thing. So I just kept using it out of inertia, you know? Right, that makes sense. Well, I guess it's yeah. kind of the same with Arch. Yeah. You, you started using it like, why would I change? Like, it's here. It's funny, right? It's like... I feel like the, the Linux space has this culture around distros that um, 
like when I'm when I'm doing my own streams, when I'm coding something live and, and doing these things, every single time someone pops in and asks, like, what distribution, what distribution are you using? Yep. yep. And my answer to that is always the distribution does not matter. I use whatever gets me into GNOME mm -hmm. with the le the least amount of friction. And Narch has been consistently giving me GNOME without getting in my way, so that's why I use it. But if there's no attachment to any particular distributions, you know, just they serve a purpose, and that's the purpose that I have for for myself. The only argument I I've spoken to a lot of developers about this, and a lot of them seem to fall towards things like Fedora and Arch. And it seems like the general reasoning is, I don't really care about the distro, but I want to have up-to-date dependencies. So I'll just go with one reason that too, yeah. gives me that. Because you could go Gen 2 and like get all the up-to-date stuff compiled yourself. But like, if Arch is going to give it to you without the compiling aspect, you know, it, it gets you all the way there anyway. Yeah, most of the time people just want to go to their corners and do whatever they want mm -hmm. in that particular space. So I don't want to compile my entire system. I just want to compile GNOME stuff and yeah. test GNOME stuff. And then Arch comes in and they install. I don't have to install development packages because that's super annoying to me. Mm -hmm. I just have to. If it runs, I can build. That's that's how Arch packages things. And that's super convenient for me. So I just keep using it. But I wanted to have frame pointers. There was a controversy in the Fedora space few i don't know many months ago a few months ago how many weeks i don't quite remember but i wanted those frame pointers i wanted the, the frame pointer juice for myself too <laughs> and arch doesn't have that so i'm reconsidering my choices what is a frame pointer i've not heard this term before um basically when you're compiling software you can pass uh by de i think by default it, it enables frame pointers and most distributions disables frame pointers, which is like when you're compiling it, it stores pointers to the frame of memory that that particular function is executing. Okay. And so things like sysprof can poke into that information and like system profilers like sysprof can poke into the frame pointers and figure out which function was executing. Um, okay, right, right. So you can get like super detailed um, system profiling happening at any time for any program if you enable that for everything on your system. So you know, like, my GNOME desktop environment is stuttering. What the hell is going on here? And then you just fire up sysprof, press a button, and then you get, like, profile of each and every okay, app, and right. including GNOME shell, what were they executing, who was taking more CPU space than others, what the hell was going on there many frames are missed and so we have these super interesting detailed information that is um incredibly helpful when you're trying to optimize things mm -hmm. but enabling it in packages has been a source of controversy and as far as i understand is because it can lead to like one or two percent performance downgrade when you when you enable it because right. um you have to put an extra bit of information in every function mm -hmm. and that can be slow. And then I think part of the controversy was people saying like, but if we have this information, we're going to lose 1% here. You're going to lose 1% by enabling it, but we're going to improve 50% because we know what the hell is going on. Yeah. And then, 
that was this controversy on Fedora, I think. Um, and I, I wanted those frames no, pointers for myself too. Um, if you go, there's a there's a person in the GNOME space called Christian Christian Hargard. Um, yep, 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 yep. Okay. He did a lot of performance work over the last cycle, and specifically because he was able to do that because of frame pointers. Mm-hmm. Now, when you type a character in GNOME shell search, it shows results. A lot faster mm-hmm. and reduce CPU usage by like a bazillion percent, and that's because we could figure out these things mm-hmm. out of this information. So who knows? There, there is this weird mindset in the Linux world amongst certain people where any, and I'm sure you you've seen this, especially with the flat pack stuff. Any sort of extra overhead is just instantly bad. It's like, you know, you'll have these different runtimes, and while there is deduplication, you're still going to have, like, it's naturally going to be bigger because there's going to be things in the runtimes you're just simply not using. And any extra megabyte, it doesn't matter how much storage space you have, any extra megabyte, giant issue. Can't can't have that and it's the same with that like one percent even though it's gonna be this really great debugging tool there's going to be these people who are like no i i want that extra one piece one percent am i gonna notice it no but i want it i don't know i don't know how much i can tell about that because that's super annoying and that's basically a I think there's an English term for that self self owning self uh, like self centered um, self uh, self destructive a, uh, a self whatever sure 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 um, like you self own yourself you you right you, right you do right. something you advocate for something that is fundamentally going to work against you <laughs> yeah yeah okay yeah um, yeah yep. <laughs> so yeah so it happens the same when it comes to flatback. It happens the same when it comes to containers in general. Um, but it's, I don't know, as as a developer, you get some new ones on those things. And I had a lot of trouble with them. dependencies in GNOME Calendar, which is not even a complicated application. Mm-hmm. It has a few dependencies, um, but it's not even a difficult one. And I've got those problems myself. Mm-hmm. So imagine a super sensitive application like, I don't know, Bottles. It has to run wine, and wine is like belladonna. If you change one folder, it's going to break everything. So Bottles has to keep very strict understanding. Like, whatever it ships, it has to be exactly that. Yeah. Because it's exactly what they tested. So we've got a little bit more new ones. It's easier to fix bugs. Um, it's easier to understand what's going on. And there are people that are going to go nuts. And I think that's probably just part of the nature of the Linux community. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's, I, I have this expression that I, I, I say that people are um, too, liter- too literate um, to be ignorant and too not literate, too illiterate to be useful. Um, <laughs> they know too much to be able to contribute productively to a mm-hmm. certain project and but not 
they know too much to think that they know, but not enough to actually do. And we get that a lot. In right. Um, there's a... Um... There's a. There's I'm sure a, there's a fancy. Yeah, there is English phrasal verb for that with birds or um, whatever. <laughs> it it. Someone's gonna mention the comments. There's this concept where, the the sorry, the less you know about something, the more you think you know. But as you learn more about it, you realize how much more there is to learn, and you realize I then actually don't. I, like I, I'm sure you know you got the entrance back there, like. You first pick up any of them, you're like, yeah, this is, you know, I, I got this. This makes sense. <laughs> a couple of weeks, couple of months later, you're like, wait, I have no idea what I'm doing. This is actually way more complicated than I thought. So if you ask me, this is going to be a fun exercise because um, if you ask me basically any question about anything, I'm going to probably prefix my answers with, I have no idea what I'm talking about. This is super complicated. Um. And I know that for a fact that because people have specifically told me that um, like they look forward to my opinions on particular subjects because they think that I know what I'm doing and I, and I know enough to, to know that I have no fucking idea what I'm, what I'm doing, what, what, what the hell things are about. So <laughs> You just stumble so, through it and it just happens to work itself out. Many things we can talk about the cultural aspects of the Linux community and free software communities and whatever understandings and misunderstandings they have over what free software is and what people should do. It's just, it's a never ending source of entertainment for, for everyone. But now you have to like distance yourself from, from, um, if you want to look into this and like, how can I say this? Like, I'm working on these things. Mm -hmm. So if I want to interact with people, I have to distance myself from 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 those um, from from the people that are talking and, and using. Otherwise, it's going to be like attacks from every right, every like every every everywhere I look, there's somebody like, with a very strong opinion trying to attack and, and that's mm -hmm. all over the place. It requires a certain level of attachment to <laughs> to whatever you're doing it's really easy to forget that most people that use linux don't get involved in these discussions there is a big silent majority who are just yeah. using gnome they're using kde they're using whatever distro they're using and they don't have an opinion on it they're just like okay this works but those people, you know, those aren't the ones that are getting... They're not, they're not the ones who are, like, coming into repos being like, this is a terrible idea. Why are you doing this? Why don't you do it my way? I'm not going to submit a merge request about it. Just do it my way. When is this going to be done? But... Or, like, you know, Gnome's bad. KDE's bad. Like, all of this sort of stuff. Most people... Most people are just, like, the Linux, the Linux world as it stands today is in a great state. It's not like every single person has to be a developer, and this is a good thing. It's, you know, people can be sort of, they can miss the, the early days when, you know, 
you were saying before you had to recompile the kernel to get USB <laughs> work. Like who can who can want yeah. for those days again? But the fact that all of these people can use Linux and just not have to worry about stuff and you can just go about their day really says a lot about just how much great work has been done over these years. I feel like this is a kind of subject that has a lot to, to explore. It is, as I said, it's a never-ending source of entertainment. <laughs> um, like, one, one thing that I've been pondering about um, and I have started noticing is how the question of association and identity, this might be too meta level, but the question of association is fluid in the eyes of the internet community. Like, um, right now we're talking, we're talking as if I'm representing GNOME or, right. or representing is a strong word, but people, People might look into this um, interview, uh, this conversation, and tag me as GNOME. Mm -hmm. But in other occasions, people are very willingly to not tag me as GNOME when it's... Um, well, I see that because I am involved in GNOME development for, for a long time. And it's like... I'm going to give you an example mm -hmm. that, you, uh, that you will at least understand. I merged the accent colors merge request for, um, for the for the XDG desktop portal settings interface. Mm -hmm. It was just like a documentation comment, but we had to discuss what was going to be the setting. And these things, but nobody said like no merge accent colors in XDG desktop portals. You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> people were saying like. Gnome was giving trouble to merging those things. Right. And I don't I don't even think that this is doing that this is done by like some sort of bad faith or anything. It's just something natural that occurs when people think of um identities and whatnot. Like mm. to many people, Gnome is bad. And whatever Gnome do by definition is bad. So if something good happens, it's natural that Whoever did that must not be gnome, right? Otherwise, how can I, how can I keep thinking the gnome's bad if, like, if the thing that I wanted in that portal was merged by a gnome person? How can I say that gnome didn't merge this or was giving trouble? You know, the gnome hmm. merged and gnome didn't merge. That doesn't make sense. It happens very often in many different discussions and and. It's it's not something that it's not something that people I, I don't even think that people perceive themselves as doing this. It's just naturally happening everywhere. Um I don't know if you have opinions about no, that, but I, I, I keep I keep seeing this happening over and over and over. And it's especially common when like in, in a free software community like you know, where there's a lot of people and most of them wear many hats. Oh, I'm I'm GNOME. I'm Flatpak. I'm wearing the Portals hat. I'm wearing the Flatpak. I'm uh, wearing the Wayland hat. I'm wearing the OBS hat. I'm, like, I have many hats. And wh which hat I'm using, which label I'm attached to, which association I have, is fluid to 
preserve a certain narrative that people have may have in their, in their fantasies, you know? Maybe I'm going too meta on this, but no, it's no, just I, something I keep noticing over and over, and it's really fun once you definitely stop fun. feeling bad about it. <laughs> I, I, I've never really thought about it like that. I think when we're talking about... Okay, so let me see how I can phrase this. When we're talking about a a person involved in a project that is clearly tied to that project, I can understand being like, say for Bottles, for example, when Mirko Bromben, uh, Bromben does something, this is clearly the Bottles guy. Like, if mm-hmm. you think of Bottles, you are thinking of Mirko. If you think of Hyperland, you think of Vaxu. If you think, like, there, there are these projects out mm-hmm. there where there is a person that directly represents the project it is a fair it's a far smaller project than what is gnome but even in the gnome case like anytime um tobias does anything for example like that is going to be perceived as this is gnome doing it or um you know you can pick any of like the the big names or like nate graham for kde or any anyone like this where sort of a lot of their a lot of their sort of persona in these repos seems to be tied to that project. But even then, even then, that it gets weird when it's outside of the project. Like, when it's something inside Gnome and Tobias is saying something, you can sort of perceive this as this is Gnome doing. But even then, there are these different voices in the project, even though, at least from my perspective, it seems like Gnome is a lot more, maybe you disagree with this, but seems a lot more consistent in, like, the vision they have for the desktop, as opposed to something like, if you look at the Wayland Protocols repo, for example, where everybody has all of these different ideas, but... Yeah... I think what's important, and this is what I try to do when I talk about changes being done, whilst I will mention where someone sort of often comes from, like, if someone, you know, works at Red Hat, for example, I will mention that they are from Red Hat. If someone, if someone is, at least seems in this perspective, or in this occasion to be representing a project, I will mention it. But I think it, it's important to focus on the individual developers because even within a project like Gnome, these individual developers are going to have their different ideas on how they can approach these different problems. Yeah, I- you see, it's um, Gnome. I can, I can, I can infer and say that the same probably happens for KDE. Sure. Um. In fact, there are, there are KDE folks, fantastic KDE folks who who linger in in GNOME spaces, and we talk every time. It's, um, it's not completely alien that the communities are somewhat. Um, they they share a lot of values and, yeah. and things. Um, but maybe because I am involved in the you know day to day conversations, that there's this there's this concept of um there's this concept of rough consensus mm-hmm. and it is what reigns in most of these communities because there is a lot more diverse, diversity 
and voices than people can expect when they are only looking at things from the outside. Mm -hmm. And that happens in GNOME a lot, a lot. Many different people with sometimes antagonistic views on many subjects. <clears throat> but even then, at the end of the day, um, people will look into and, and perceive it as a community the Barshi, there was a GNOME contributor called the Barshi Ray, wrote a fantastic essay on the mythological GNOME mounting, mm -hmm. um, where people think and are, their username is Rishi. I don't quite remember when they wrote about it. It was probably like five years ago. Oh, okay. Imagine a GNOME mountain with a castle, you know, um, um, an evil-esque mm -hmm. castle. You know, those ghouls walking around and people thinking in like they're um, acephalated cells of a unified organism called GNOME. That's basically what people perceive. But when you enter in there, it's completely different. People are just arguing about everything all the time. Probably more than outside of GNOME in, in some sense. <laughs> mm. And I can tell that's probably the case for KDE as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, and other communities. I'm mentioning KDE because it's a fairly big community, and big communities have lots of disagreements that we don't know about. Mm -hmm. All the time. All the damn time. It is sometimes even annoying. I think, well, at least with GNOME, and I'm sure it's the same for KDE, there is at least these basic guiding principles that you all agree upon like you agree that we are going to be using whatever the current version of gtk is you agree that we're going to be writing in i presume is the main language of gnome c++ um what is the main language i think for i think for libraries it's still c okay and for apps there's a diversity of languages People like, are writing a lot of Rust code. Right, Python, right. Vala. Oh, right. I forgot about that one. Um, but, like, there are these basic things that everybody agrees upon. Like, no one's going to argue that GNOME should start using Qt as, like, their main, like, library. And it's like same for KDE. Like, everyone agrees, like, we're doing the Qt thing, all of that. But where you start seeing these, like, disagreements become really... I guess, apparent, is when you look into these sort of cross-desktop solutions where there's all of these different, maybe not competing, but sort of, I guess, incompatible, in a sense, goals for what they want to see done. Like, Wayland Protocol is my favorite example because this is ah. a mixing of so many different ideas that... Whilst you all agree that we want to make the Wayland desktop better, Gnome's going to have their approach. Katie is going to have their approach. Cosmic is doing their thing. Budgie is eventually going to catch up to Wayland. XSCE will hopefully one day catch up as well. But it, I'm sure there is... I'm sure there is more agreement than there is disagreement. Like, it's not like every single 
issue is going to turn into the tearing protocol or uh, yeah. dealing with like color management and things like that. I'm sure for a lot of things, it's like, okay, this is a good idea, merge it. But when there are these situations where goals completely diverge, that's where you start seeing sort of how, I guess how weak this idea of like people talk about the linux community but really it's these individual sub communities that all happen to be using these similar sort of technologies yeah well wayland is a particular is a particular source of <laughs> i'm sure steam right <laughs> <laughs> it is a difficult project mm -hmm. um Portals is not it's not much it's not much um far behind. Um because it it, it intersects code and APIs mm -hmm. and application use cases and political visions of the desktop. Mm -hmm. It intersects in all of these areas. And that's really hard to get consensus on. Mm -hmm. Incredibly hard to get some consensus on. And specifically in the Wayland case where it is proposing a different approach to how things are organized in the desktop. It's not simply like um, you call it X11 function, you now call Wayland function. Mm -hmm. You you just replace the, the, the prefix of the functions and you get the, the it's completely separate thing. It approaches the problem from another angle. And people have been writing code for XARC for twice as long as Linux exists. Yeah. So <laughs> so you got a problem of people really not getting what's happening in there. Things are... But it's on the other... Go on. Oh, Go sorry. On. on the other hand, I feel like things like Wayland are Hypewire portals. They are, they are... If you... If you look at it with kinder eyes, you're going to see lots of innovation happening there. Not in, in the sense of the code being written, mm -hmm. but the approaches to different things. Um, like Wayland is my favorite. Pipewire, I don't think people, I don't think people realized how, how much of, a, of an earth shattering, groundbreaking innovation that Pipewire is, because we're not still, we're still not exploring the full potential of, of this technology. I think Windows and macOS, they do not have a multimedia center within, not a multimedia center in the sense of a multimedia provider, but something that connects everything that can generate and consume multimedia in their desktops, Windows and Mac, they don't have anything like that. I think the reason most people don't realize is because it's been a very seamless transition. Right now, with what we're exploring, it's hey, it's a, pi uh, it's a Pulse Audio server. Everything just works. Like, there were issues early on. Pipewire has had some, some, some bugs that needed to be ironed out. Like, I had this issue where my master audio didn't exist. So when I was capturing things in OBS, it was using the level of my speaker 
as what it was capturing oh. in OBS, which was not supposed to happen. Um, uh -oh. <laughs> luckily, that got dealt with a long time ago, but that during that period, I had to swap back to Pulse Audio because, like, this is not going to work. But Pipewire has been this very, very smooth transition. So even though it does... Like, you know, obviously the video stuff is the most notable uh, most notable part with OBS on Wayland. For most people, they don't need to care about it. It's like their distro swaps out Pulse Audio to Pipewire, uh, to Pipewire and is, is, is fine. If your distro decides yeah. that, you know, X11 is no longer going to be the default, it's going to be Wayland. Like, there is going to be a lot more things that you notice there, especially if you're Fedora, you know, Five plus years ago when they did it. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to comment much on the post audio slash pipewire transition because it was almost a non-event. Most of people, almost everybody, was mm -hmm. smooth. And that's I've I've seen people on the internet saying that you know Wayland should have done X or Y or Z like pipewire. Wayland, so that, we should uh, have done transition. Wayland, it should have been X12, is my favorite one. <laughs> like, sure, if the X, if the X protocol was um, all right, we wouldn't have the problem. Pulse Audio, the protocol was not fundamentally broken. It was just an approach. Pipewire could implement that very easily and carry on with life. Um, Wayland is not like that at all. Um, but what what I was saying is more like er, there may be bugs, bugs may be fixed. It's just the nature of the whole thing. But imagine, I'm just gonna let's do let's do a mental exercise here, buddy. Imagine you're in a professional streaming setting. Mm -hmm. You are streaming, I don't know, an event, a gaming event. You have many players, many groups, like teams. They are playing their games and they are streaming their their games to like a local computer that captures their 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 things and composes it into like a, a nice uh video stream that you see on Twitch and then encodes it and sends to so now imagine you have instead multiple OBS instances. One of those instances is capturing player one's game and the second one is capturing it uh, player two's game and putting something on the top on top of it and then you send those two things to two different obs outputs into a third obs that um you know composes those two scenes to players that are already composted with them um, some NC effects you compose it into something else and encode it and then send into another OBS. The glue that is going to do that is going to be Pipewire. We're, we're going to be able to do a lot more like cross-app uh, multimedia sharing. Imagine, I don't know, you're a VTuber. You got a you know, T2D. You want to send that output to OBS Studio. And the way people do that now is having to load a kernel module called Linux Video for Linux uh, Loopback, whatever. Yep. So that they can send frames to another application. <laughs> I love that fruit. I love that module. It's yeah. just, it's it's great. 
Yes. <laughs> I can see from your face that you have a pa you're passionate about it. <laughs> oh, I The only reason I have it installed is camera loopbacks. Yeah. That's that's the because you know, you there's no without it there's no way to do virtual cameras. So well, at least there was no way. There was. There will be. Um, I can tell you that um, a little peek into the future, I have some patches. Well, I basically squashed lots of patches from Wim and other contributors that introduce uh, webcams in OBS through Pipewire. There are people working on that for Firefox and Chrome. And there's another, there's another member of the OBS community who's working on a portal um, that allows media, a peer-to-peer -peer media sharing. Okay. That you can, uh, Inochi can send VTuber um, frames to OBS Studio without a kernel module being involved. And then OBS um, can also capture the camera if you want, because when you have Pipewire, you can have multiple apps reading cameras imagine at the that. same time. <laughs> what a crazy, imagine, imagine. What a crazy <laughs> idea that is. And then OBS can compose something and export to Pipewire as a virtual camera without involving any, any, any kernel modules as well. Mm -hmm. And then Firefox can also read from your um, VTuber avatar rendered on OBS with sparkling effect into Zoom or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's essentially where everything is converging now. Now, the obvious question here is, does this come with some performance overhead that the kernel approach didn't have? Is it any more performant, any less performant from what's been worked on at this point? I can't really say before having these things actually running. Mm -hmm. I would expect to be more performant because, for example, I think video for Linux doesn't uh, require, it requires you to export opaque cameras. Um, so Inochi, I think, has to export uh, uh, your VTuber avatar with the green screen behind it. Mm -hmm. And then OBS has to remove the green screen so that it has your avatar with a transparent background can put on top of, the, of, you know, whatever content you have. Mm -hmm. And with Pipewire, you don't have to do that. Ah. In fact, you don't even have to, in fact, you don't even have to copy the frames because Pipewire allows DMA buff sharing. So we know she just renders the thing and tells OBS, hey, this is the GPU address of my memory. Read from it. And then OBS can render that using OpenGL. So instead of downloading the frame contents into OBS memory and then uploading again to GPU memory again, it just tells the GPU, hey, copy those frames here, uh, those pixels in here, and then it gets much faster. That's lot really of, Lots of possibilities. Yeah, it is really exciting. I don't think we grasped the, how profound this change is going to impact. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I tell you, this is an innovation of the Linux desktop. I don't think Windows and Mac have anything that's close to that. Nothing on their user space. Should take advantage of, advantage of that. Instead of just thinking like, oh, we're just going to make OBS do the same, but using another technology so that it does 
thing with this cool technology. No, what can do? What can you do differently and better? Um, and then use that as a selling point of the platform. Because that's one. Of, whilst most people have swapped over, there are still some holdouts on Pulse Audio. It's like why? Like, what does it do differently? Like, it just does what Pulse is doing. I don't use Jack. I don't need it to like all be managed in the same thing. But things like that, like that, that's that can really change the way we handle video. Because I, I have always thought it was weird that when I open up something like, um, what's it called? Um, why am I blanking on the name? Uh, the patch bay that I use that I'm forgetting the name of. Uh, Carlo. Sorry. Carlo. Helvium. Uh, I, it's not Helvium. There's another one that I use. I. I'm completely forgetting the nail. Doesn't matter. I've always thought it was a little odd that there's this one video thing just sitting there. Nothing's using it. Because I... It's just it's just there. Like, the, it has the video functionality, but my webcams, they're just doing their own thing and they're not being passed. That... You know what? I, I just realized that... Okay, that's actually really... Yeah, okay. I... <laughs> I already thought I can thought see it was... the, the the tsunami of information I, getting no, to you I, now. I already thought it was cool, but just piecing together the fact that there will come a point where you can just hook up your camera into different things through a patch bay, like yeah. that's cool. That's really cool. Yes. Pipewire at the end of the day, Pipewire is just a multimedia. Um, it just exposed nodes of things that it can handle: mm -hmm. audio, MIDI, camera, whatever. As a list of formats that it can handle, and you can connect things together. If they tell Firewire, "Hey, I can handle this. Mm -hmm. I have this slot. Give me whatever um, audio or something like that." So you can think of, you can go nuts on the on the ideas. You can think of as many crazy things you want. It's probably going to be possible with Firewire. And on top of that, it has a media session mechanism that allows people to implement policies on top of Firewire. Is like I just have nodes in this graph. I don't do anything with them. I don't connect it to anything else. And then comes a media session that tells, hey, connect your microphone, sorry, your microphone to, I don't know, Chromium, so that you can use WebRTC to, to speak. And then you can have a permission system on top of that. So you can say like, I disallow, using portals, for example, you can say, I disallow this application to use my microphone. I do not allow this application to use my cameras. Um, I did see. I the... only allow this application to use this specific camera and period. Mm -hmm. And then we reach the future of the Linux desktop. I did see <laughs> you have that uh, audio portal that's being worked on. Yeah, it's still under discussion. We yeah, want to it's... see how things go. It was started two weeks ago. If it was done in two weeks, that would be a very quick turnover for anything, anything in portals. It's going to be complicated because um, not only you have to provide a desktop uh, portal API for that, but apps have to start using them and removing the flatback permission to talk to Pulse Audio directly. The goal is to remove all static permissions and everything is dynamic. Mm -hmm. And you can control it. Um, and this is one of the, this is one of those static permissions that we want to get rid of. So the idea is basically the same. You request access to, um, 
I don't know. I think the API, the proposed API, allows you to request access to speakers, microphones, and audio monitoring. Mm -hmm. um, either combination of these three, you can just request your application can just request like speakers, and we don't even have to pop up a, a permission dialog in front of you because it's harmless. Mm -hmm. But if it wants to use your microphone, it's a little bit more privacy sensitive, so it's probably a better idea to ask you if you want to allow it or not. Mm -hmm. But these policies are also defi defined by the backend. So if, I don't know, I'm just guessing, but if KDE says like, nah, this is too bothersome, just allow everything. And then people can remove the permission if they want to later on. They can do that as well. Pretty nice, but we have to convince people that it's worth using it. So once you have permission, you, you, you connect to Pipewire and then Pipewire is going to magically tell you here are the audio devices, here are the video devices, here are the whatever devices you requested, things like that. Well, that sort of ties into what I did want to get to at some point. Why should somebody care about this, this whole idea of bringing a permission system onto the Linux desktop? Because this is something that's well established in Android, for example. Like, if an app wants to pretty much get anything, it will need to ask you about Like It wants to get access to your camera. It needs to ask you. It wants web access. It will need to ask you. Your contacts needs to ask you. A lot of, like, the, the, Linux has never had this. Like, this is just not a thing that we've done. Why should somebody care? Oh, I can start this. Uh, I can prefix this with that XKCD. I don't remember the num the number, but that one that says if somebody gets access to your computer, they can read your emails. Your Linux computer, they can read your emails. They can read your personal files and whatever all all of your information. But they cannot access root. Mm -hmm. Um. <laughs> oh, like that's removed the world shuffled from one server with many client with many clients and each one of them having their own thing going on. You using your computer, usually with a single user mm -hmm. on your computer, and instead of trusting each other, you don't trust the things that you're running on your computer. Mm -hmm. It can be a malicious website, it can be a malicious application, it can have a pretty front facing interface, but in, on the back end, it's mining crypto using your GPU, and you don't notice. So we moved. We shuffled from a world where you have to, where you had to be cautious about other users of your computer accessing your information. Not that that's not important to this day; it is, still is. But also within the same user, you have um, this level of uncertainty about what you're running, and that's particularly bad for proprietary apps where you cannot access the code, you cannot like validate if what you're running trying to steal something from you. So a permission system is necessary. Mm -hmm. um, in, in, this, in this scenario where you, you cannot fully trust all applications that you're running, you have to have a, you have to have a mechanism that allows you to block it from accessing your stuff mm -hmm. um like i don't know whatever you install 
Skype 2 and Skype 2 keeps her, keeps using her microphone to figure out what you're talking and train an AI model to, I don't know, whatever. It keeps accessing your microphone without you noticing. Well, like a simple example in X11 is literally any application can just be a keylogger if it wants to. Yeah, I had to write a keylogger for X11 to figure out, a, a, to, to find the root cause of an OBS bug with browser docs. <laughs> <laughs> It's not only allowed and possible, it is sometimes required, if, mm -hmm. even if you don't want to write a keylogger, even, even if you don't want to be an evil person, you're going to be forced to be one. <laughs> <laughs> so it is, it is important, and we are lagging behind already, um, especially when you consider the mobile space. Mm -hmm. They have permissions and are stricter. I think Android has one, each app is its own Unix user, even. So it uses a combination of permissions and combination of permissions and Unix permissions, both at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, we want to have that on the desktop. And I think it is not, some, not just something cool, like, ooh, this app asks for me permission. Most of the time, it's just an annoyance. You know, you don't want to see dialogues. You install an app, and you, you just want to use it. Yeah. Um, but, and and I'm not trying to paint myself into the privacy, um, the hyper enthusiastic, uh, paranoid privacy lover. We're recording this on but Discord. It <laughs> but it is, it is a necessity these days. <laughs> I feel like we don't have, on the Linux desktop, we don't have corporate control over it. Mm -hmm. So much so that we can implement these things. Um, we can implement these things without any particular com company coming to us and say, no, you really don't want this permission system because we want to do everything we want with your desktop. Mm -hmm. um, and I see it like, maybe this is too, too far ahead, but I see that in the future, Linux is going to be one bastion of, um, of desktop computing, not in the sense of the masses using it, but in the sense of people using it because it's the only viable option, mm -hmm. not because it's the best option necessarily, you know? Every Windows release, people... Uh, People like it is kind of a news cliche at this point, but every Windows release, people start saying things like Windows is gonna um, make itself into a subscription OS or I something keep, like that. I keep hearing uh, software as a service every every couple of months. Off Windows 12, we software as a service, and I wouldn't be surprised at this point. Like it, it wouldn't surprise us, right? Yeah. And it wouldn't Mac be. A, OS, it wouldn't be. Who cares what macOS yeah. is doing? They're doing. They're they're their own ecosystem. They're controlled, but I feel like most of these companies have these mechanisms. Um, like Google has a mechanism, a, per, a permissions mechanism on Android because of liability. Mm -hmm. Because if Google allowed everything in their app store, and people start losing money out of that, they would get tons of lawsuits. Mm -hmm. So it's more like a protection for Google instead of a protection for you, mm. uh, a person using their 
uh, devices, you know, in in the Android case, for example. But I, I can I can think the same for Apple. When it comes to Linux, that when it comes to the Linux desktop, who's going to be sued? Mm. It's a community endeavor. It is a massive number of sub communities working because a big entity towards something else. But now we we're facing a. Uh, I feel like we're facing a, a point in time where we have to protect ourselves from things that are not coming from the community. And that's where the whole sandboxing and not being able to access your files and your devices and whatever come into place. I was working on the USB portal. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been working, in a, was, I've been working on this portal existed. this month. It, it doesn't exist yet. I'm doing oh. it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, I, is there an open issue about it right now? Or is it just like uh, something? I think there's a three-year-old merge request. I published a branch in my fork of um, SCG desktop portal. It's not ready yet, but one point that people kept saying is that... Five-year-old. If... Five-year-old yes. issue about it. Yeah. The issue is five-year-old. There is a draft merge request that is, I think, three-year-old. Oh, okay, okay, right, right, right. Okay, that makes sense. And I'm basically redoing that. At this point, it's almost from scratch. Mm-hmm. But Rafi64 did a fantastic work, like, cracking this initial implementation. One of the things that people kept saying is that if an app has access, it doesn't even have to read your devices, but it, if it's able to detect that you have a certain, I don't know, YubiKey plugged in your computer, they can fingerprint you. And mm. they will probably do like a malicious app can know who you are by what devices you have connected on your computer. Hmm. So we have to be really careful with those things, and that's that's the one of the major selling points for portals. The other, I think, is just providing a desktop API. Everything was in X11 days. Everything, everyone could do anything at any time, every app. Every app could participate in the compositing process of another app. So one app can render stuff on another app's interface. Yeah. One app can tell the other app where they should be. They, there's literally no boundaries. Every, there's no um, hard lines, you know. This lets you One of the major things. differences... <laughs> maybe not safe things, but let you do fun things. Yeah. It is one of the major architectural differences from Wayland because on X11, they, they, gave, they gave everyone the prescriptions. I think Daniel Stone used the term prescriptions. Mm-hmm. Apps tell X11 through the X11 protocol. They tell, put this thing here or do this in this place. And on Wayland, you you invert the order of things. Mm-hmm. Apps don't do things; they provide things. Mm. It's a big difference. It's like instead of apps telling, "Put myself, put my window in this corner of the monitor," mm-hmm. this is a prescription command. Like it's telling the compositor what to do. And the Wayland model is. I think Daniel Stone uses the word descriptive. Mm. So the Wayland model is like 
the application doesn't tell the compositor what to do. It just tells, it just gives the compositor information. Like I have a window. Mm -hmm. This window has this title. This window has this size. Here's a buffer for this window. I want this buffer to have this size. Um, the color space of this buffer is this. And then the compositor takes a lot of this information and makes decision about it. The compositor says, okay, this app has this title. I'm going to put this title into a label beneath it or things like that. But the app never tells the compositor where to draw the title label or anything like that. You know, it's just a blob of information and the compositor makes sense of it. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm going through a very deep tangent here. I think this entire episode. I find beauty in this thing. This is. No, this is this great. Is, I love this. It's like. I think people were discussing about the positioning, a way to position windows. Yes, yes, this and... is a recent thing that came up. A recent um, merge request. And it is when people look into it and say, no, this is somewhat like not matching the Wayland model. Is one of the reasons is this, it is prescriptive. Mm -hmm. It's telling the compositor what to do instead of providing information to the compositor and letting the compositor figure out. It could be worked around, for example, if you uh, say, like, um, this window has this identifier, and the compositor saves the last position of that window with that identifier. Mm -hmm. And then when you open the app again, the, the, the app's going to tell, like, hey, this window it's that one with that identifier that I sent you before. And the compositor will be able to restore the previous location or something like that. This is how this is. I'm, I'm just guessing here. I'm, I'm not sure if this is actually a fantastic idea, but this is a more Waylandy of an idea. That is a to approach this problem, you know? Uh, there is the. Um... What There's a it? session restore. Session restore, yes. That is a separate thing that is being worked on as well. Um, but this would be more about that sort of that, that first time over. Like, you open GIMP in its multi-window mode, and if you open that on X11, you open that on Windows, like, GIMP is going to be able to assign where it wants those windows to be. But... As it stands on Wayland, that's very much up to the individual compositors. Some compositors might try to sensibly, uh, sensibly lay them out. Others might say, dump them all on top of each other. It's very much to the user. It seems like something is buggy here. Yeah, I'm not going to deny that this isn't a problem. Like, this is a problem. Um, I think my my... My point is that it is better for the ecosystem for us to mm -hmm. embrace the different model and try to come up with um, different approaches to fix the problem instead of just replicating the old approach into this new model, which doesn't fit, you know? And that's, I think when Yoda, Jonas mentioned in one of the comments that it, it, it forbids innovation because you're essentially applying this, I, I think that's what I have in mind too. Like this is a completely different way to do things. You have to approach things in a different from a different angle to 
get the same behavior that you have before, you know. Um, so just dumping the old thing into the new thing, it's, it's kind of the cheap way to get into a working state again, you know. Yeah. And we may miss some of the things, um, some of the fantastic possibilities that may pop up along the way. No, I, I do agree with that. I think it's good to have this on the backburn, like as an idea, like if if we realize all of these new ideas are actually terrible and there's actually not a better way to do this, then, hey, maybe it does make sense to replicate the old behavior. But whilst I do want this problem fixed, I don't want this problem fixed in a way that is going to limit what is possible in the future. Yeah, we don't want to paint ourselves into a corner where yeah. we're um, forced to not be able to add cool new stuff mm -hmm. because we're bound to old crafty stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. The new XR, uh, VR slash XR, portal under discussion, trying to, we're facing the same problem. Like, how do we... How do we mangle all these different moving parts together? Mm -hmm. um, and it's complicated, and people are used to working one way. Not not in particular for the VR thing, because there's a very um, helpful person who laid out a panorama view of the whole situation. Mm -hmm. It's going to be easier to make decisions based on that. But it's it's difficult, right? And people have a tendency to get frustrated and irritated when things don't work. Mm -hmm. So there's always this pressure to get things working as fast as possible, whatever it takes, even if that, even if advocating for that may work against you in the future, you know, people, people just frustrated. And I can understand the frustration. I was frustrated too. I, I, I contribute to things that I'm frustrated about because I want to fix them. <laughs> um, so I, I can't blame but I can't uh, you know whatever I think you've probably heard this as well there I, I, you probably tune it out at this point but there is a lot of people that will say things like Wayland is what 15 15 years at this point 2008 I think um 15 years old. Almost, yeah. yeah, I'm I want to say 2008. Wayland is 15 years old and it's still not done. Like it's not that it well, firstly a lot of the major issues have only been dealt with over the past like 3 or 4 years. As as bad as, you know, COVID and all that was, the one thing that it was good for is a lot of problems in the Foss world got fixed when a lot of people didn't end up having to go to their day job. Turns out when people have a lot more free time, they have a lot more free time to work on things. So a lot of problems have been yeah. dealt with. But it's not that it's just 15 years old. It's that we have 30... I want to say 35 years of X11 to... And, and and applications built for X11 around the X11 model that also need to be adjusted to fit into what we're doing now. It's not just, let's do a new thing, suddenly everything is just going to work. 
it, there's going to be a long and painful transitionary period. And right now, whilst a lot of problems are being dealt with, we are in the middle of that transitionary period. I'd say we are closer to the end mm-hmm. now. When people start talking about positioning the windows instead of corrupted sure. buffers. Sure, sure. We are we're pretty good. <laughs> well, yeah, I... Um, I often say that, it obviously, because different compositors will implement things at a different rate, um, it's not a consistent thing, but all, what I'll often say is Wayland, as it currently stands, is great if you're a normal user. If you go down the center path, everything is fine, but off to the sides there are these giant gaping holes that you may find yourself falling into, like the window positioning, like OBS was just a couple of years ago. But for most users at this stage right now, everything you need is there. Accessibility is a big one that like really needs yeah. a lot more focus. And that, that I think is going to be a blocker for a while because there are some people who simply cannot use their computer without some of the accessibility features that have been built up over the years on X11. And things like that can't just be left behind without some form of compatible equivalent replacement, or at least equivalent replacement, whether it's compatible or not with the old solutions is another another story. Um, but I have good news for you, Brody. Oh, what's being worked on? Uh, accessibility may be fixed. Oh, what? <laughs> what, 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 do we, what do we got? Anything you can um, say? I cannot or... make the... I cannot say the grandeur announcement, but okay, there's okay. people working on this problem domain. I am well aware um, there are people working on it. I just wasn't sure how far along it was. Um, I mean, there's people working specifically on figuring out this blocker of an adoption. So... Yeah, yeah. Um, so we may see some progress in a very near future. Just like I myself, I'm working on the USB portal now. Um, there's people working on new notifications. There's people working on a plethora of things mm-hmm. around portals, and accessibility is one of them. And I really hope it is fixed for good now. Accessibility was one of the areas that got stuck in the in the essentially whatever Sun did when they implemented accessibility throughout the stack. Mm-hmm. And desktop graphics has very few people working on it. Desktop environments have very few people working on it. Mm-hmm. But it's an order of magnitude more people than accessibility. Mm-hmm. Companies have the tendency to see accessibility as a checklist as long as you can keep the checks checked. Um, everything's fine. More like government contracts and things like that that require accessible desktops. Mm-hmm. Um, so for most companies, it's just easier to switch the desktop session to X11 and have all the checks back again. Mm-hmm. You know. <clears throat> but yeah, hopefully that's gonna be fixed for good. Like with um, better protocols, better implementations. Sandboxable approaches to to the whole thing. Um, 
I really hope it's finished because like I, it's just so <laughs> annoying to. No, I, I. It's the kind of thing that a lot of people complain, mm -hmm. but there's just so few people with the necessary knowledge yeah. to lead yeah. something like this, and it just gets worse because the more people complain, the harder it is to look into the problem. Because there's so, it's so, um, involved into toxicity that you don't want to touch that from a tent. Mm -hmm. You don't want to touch that. It's difficult. It's difficult. Well, I. We sort of kind of uh, briefly said uh, words. Let me let me try that again. We touched on this briefly earlier. I, I only know English. I have no excuse for forgetting words. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we sort of touched on this earlier, where people are sort of very, I guess, aggressive towards the GNOME developers, GNOME community. How do you find yourself dealing with this? Because you're not, you're not one of the, at least from what I've seen, the general targets of that harassment. You're not, like, Tobias, I'm sure, gets way worse than what you get. Um, it, I, Tobias is just the example, because he was involved in the stop theme of my apps as well, which mm. obviously made him a big target. Um, but... How do you find yourself dealing with this? It's complicated, isn't it? Um, I have moments where I deal with those things well. And I, have, I had moments where I just burst it out and screwed everything up. Um, it, is, it is difficult. It is, um, I feel like it's one of those situations where Sometimes it's not even, how can I put it? How can I, how can I express this? I had to, I had to explicitly remove myself from social media and comment sections and not participating in these things in these places. And to some degree, shut down communications as well. to only a very strict subset of, of places. Because the attacks come from everywhere. I can tell you, I have so many stories of abuse. It's not even fun. The Linux community treats its, its maintainers and its developers really badly. Even the better ones, you know, the people who just shut up and do the work. They can be, people can be nasty online. But everything, got a foolish, I got um, job harassment, I got um, doxing, everything you can imagine. <laughs> my doga was um death sentenced by email a few years ago <laughs> i think my doga it is it is it is complicated mm -hmm. and um i don't really know how much how much what, what else to say because putting ourselves online exposes you to other people and that can change people's mind because when you when you see a face in a voice in a tone attached to a particular avatar you humanize that person yep. better and then you can hear that person's voice in your inner fantasies you know when you're reading a comment you can attach a real human voice instead of just fantasizing whatever tone you're projecting mm -hmm. to that person 
Um, but generally, what worked for me was to withdraw myself from most of these places. And I'd say that our community does pretty bad in terms of treating people. Oh, uh, the audio died for a second. Uh, Did it? Oh, we're back. Oh. Just repeat what you said the last five seconds. Oh, I was just saying that I think that people, I think that people um, in the Linux space are pretty bad at treating those who provide them the code and the desktop that they use, some incentives. Mm -hmm. Um. I know that there's a negativity bias in the human brain and that you have the tendency to remember bad experiences much more intensely than the good ones. Mm -hmm. um, but it happened enough times for me to have to, to have to like take these decisions to not have a Mastodon account, a Twitter account, or whatever new social media they have. I've never had Facebook or anything like that. So I basically just am online on very specific rooms in Matrix. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of nasty. I don't really know how to fix this though. Um, I really, I have thought about this subject for a long time, a really long time. You will find my, I think in 2018, I wrote an article about what it feels like to be a free software maintainer. Um, so this is not a problem that has made itself better over the past, how much, five years or so? <laughs> um, like, my expectation is that people, let me take a step back. We have a big problem in our hands, you know, Brody, because the Linux desktop is not cool. Mm -hmm. Companies are not throwing tons of money on the Linux desktop. It's not a cool thing anymore. It was in the mid uh, 2000s. It is not the cool, the hot new thing anymore. Companies are moving to the cloud and to like specific niches, like Linux on automotive, Linux on embedded space. That's not the Linux desktop. And I think that if people want to have a functional desktop, we have to have a change and culture in how Linux users, desktop users, interact with the people producing the desktop that they're using. Because right now, I feel like there's this very strong sense of, you know, a consumer and um, a consumer and a provider relationship. People come with this mindset, like you're providing me a product and I have to have I, I have to co-create the product that you're doing. And my feedback is valuable as is because I have an opinion and that's not useful. And I think we're gonna see less and less companies investing in the Linux desktop, you know? And more and more, the community is gonna have to budge, budget for their desktop. Mm -hmm. So the community, if the community wants to have a functioning desktop in 15 years from now, in 10 years from now, perhaps, they're going to have to stop looking at the Linux desktop developers as a free asset, you know, just somebody who 
happens to do the job and start paying the developers that they think are doing a good job, like seriously paying. Because I don't think we're going to have to have, we're going we're gonna to have much more funding in the future, you know? But what I'm seeing is the opposite. People coming with this mindset of, like, I use your stuff, even though the license says in the very first line, this software is provided with no warranty and may not fit the purpose. People are coming with this mindset of, this particular mindset of, you, you wrote the software, I am using your software. Why don't you do what I'm telling you to do? Why don't you write the feature that I want? You know, and just that, like, not, not I, I'm willing to sponsor you to work on this feature or things like that. I don't know how much of a tangent this got into, but it is a difficult situation. Not everybody stands the, the peer pressure. Many people, and this is not specific to GNOME, I have to be, I have to be clear here. Like GNOME is a famous target, but every single community has this kind of issue. Mm -hmm. It is generalized. You can ask, I don't know, XFC people. And I'm sure they will have 15 different stories of abuse to tell you. I know for a fact that many KDE developers, even though the KDE community is perceived as an outsider, as a lovely and adored group of people, I know that by talking to people in the community, they suffer a lot of abuse as well. That's the current situation. How do we change that? I have no idea. In 10 years that I'm contributing to free software and I have no idea how to change. Perhaps talking about the problem is a good first step. Yeah, <laughs> it's certainly worth mentioning. Even though I'm sure just mentioning it's going to get people be like, why are you saying that? I'm going to be angry at you now. <laughs> yeah. I think what you're saying is a lot of people see themselves as customers, not just as a user of this of this open software they they see themselves as a customer even without having done you know the first step to being a customer which is actually some sort of monetary funding now i i do want to I, I do want to be clear that when when anyone talks about monetary funding we are, there is the caveat of we are well aware that there are people out there who simply do not have the ability to do that. Like, there are people from developing nations who just do not have any excess income, or people even from, you know, places like America who are living, like, bill to bill, who simply cannot spare any extra dollar. Like, that's totally understandable, but there needs... I've talked to a couple of people about this recently, but there needs to be this shift in the shift in the idea that everything that you're getting that is free software is actually free. A lot of people have really the I I I don't want to place the blame entirely on this. People are aware of the difference and just ignore it, but I think part of that does lie on the fact that we use this term free. And I do see people that 
conflate the two, uh, you're always going to have these... I don't know if you would use the term. Maybe you wouldn't want to be as inflammatory as this, but you are going to have these users that do feel like they're entitled to a developer's time, entitled to their software working in a certain way. And I don't know if there's really a way to ultimately deal with that. I do think that there is some there is some onus on these software developers to better put forth a way to fund projects because a lot of projects are really bad at soliciting funds. Thunderbird is a, a great example of one that did it really well. When Thunderbird yes. unveiled the new UI, they had this pop-up show up like, hey, if you like what Thunderbird is doing, give us money. And from my understanding, they 10x their funding when they did that. Which is, they were already, like, Thunderbird was already very well off, don't get me wrong. But, like, yeah. they have a lot of extra money now. And a lot of people see this... I didn't hear anyone complain about this, but a lot of people I know will see this as some form of, like, you know, I don't want pop-ups, I don't want advertising on Linux desktop, but... I think there is a there is a a middle ground here and I think what Thunderbird did is probably probably a a great point for it and I I would like to see desktops like Gnome I would like to see projects like OBS I would like to see you know all of these things make it clearer that there is a way to fund these projects because most, look, most people aren't going to go to your project's website and find the donation link or... that That's a, that's a giant hassle. And... It, even with things like getting involved with development, a lot of projects... And I know this is a lot of work to, to do, but a lot of projects don't really provide a easy way to get involved with them. It sort of expects that you are already an established developer in this project before you've even started. And I know that doing beginner issues is a lot of extra overhead for the maintainers, and I don't know if there's a better way to do it, but that's also something that I feel needs to be improved upon as well. Talking about money in the Linux community is always a tricky thing to yeah. do, right? Um, personally, I've considered, like, I never put them really in practice, um, but I considered doing things like, if you want me to fix a, a particular bug, um, I, I can put a contract or, like, a, 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 a little um, box for people to pay with their wallets for whatever they want to be fixed. Mm -hmm. um, otherwise, you're just hoping that I do my best um, to fix it. And when it comes to not being paid, I'm going to follow what makes me happy more than what makes whatever internet random people, person <laughs> happy, you know? Um, it is always difficult. It is. On that, on that subject, you know, I think Flathub is cooking up to be 
to have paid apps, and I hope that helps. Um, I did, I, you probably cannot see that, but I have an Elgato light here, a key light. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I wrote a little app to uh, I reverse engineered the network protocol that he used and wrote a little app called Luminan that I haven't published yet, but it works. You okay. can control these lights. You can connect them to network. And I was thinking, like, when, when Fahub uh, publishes, uh, enables the payment thing, I might, I might want to try this, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I have asked Elgato for development samples so I could make their software work for them mm -hmm. on the Linux desktop. But they haven't, they haven't sent me anything. <laughs> Fortunately, people, like, we did a mini fundraising and we got a, um, people paid for, for this light. So they paid for the light. I got the app done. Um, you can, you can build it yourself. It's free software. Of course, I'm not every single line of code that I have done in my entire life is free software. Um, either I lost it or I published it in a GitLab somewhere. <laughs> There's no middle ground. But um, if you want to have the convenience of installing it from an app store, you can, you know, give me a dollar for that. Don't feel too bad like about not getting developer samples. Uh, when I talked to the developer of OpenRGB, a well-established project that a lot of people know about in the Linux space, even he struggles to get, like, developer samples of anything. Like, all the hardware that he's gotten working in OpenRGB is hardware that either someone has contributed support for or he has directly bought himself. The one thing that he did get a developer sample for was something he had already bought. So he, he got given another one after he already got one. <laughs> on, that, on that subject, I can tell you that Logitech is a much better player than most of these companies that I have ever dealt with. They sent... I, I even had streams for... Oh, you got some Logitech stuff yeah, in there. Got mm -hmm. a bunch of Logitech stuff. Big fan. Yeah, we're working on the Logitech has some lights. I don't know if you can see this thing here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The little light that you put on top of your monitor, you know, just like one of their cameras. Just plug it in here. Mm -hmm. uh, they sent me this sample. I'm trying to work turn a module out of this. I did see. Um, uh, I did see you were doing that. I don't. Where was it? Somewhere. I don't know, somewhere. Um, Project kind of stalled, but it was fun, and they they were pretty responsive, mm -hmm. pretty happy. More companies should do things like that. Oh, it was the... I see where it was. It was the, on your your channel. That's where it was. Yeah. Yeah, developer stream. Yeah, it's one of those boring things when you see me cracking my head to get, to get through difficult... <laughs> I don't understand why people like this, but people seem to enjoy... Seeing me suffering through development, just keep doing it's fun. <laughs> yeah, I I personally don't understand the dev streams myself, but you know people like what uh, what Lena does. I see people seem to like what you're doing, and hey, like if if you can, I think I've tried to do some dev uh, dev streams in the past. Uh, I. I have this trouble of staying focused, so I end up just interacting with the chat more than actually working. Yeah. So for me, it's it's completely unproductive. But if you can make it work yourself, and you, you know, and people like it, just 
hey, go ahead and do so. Yeah. I don't, I, it's fun because I don't, I myself also do not watch development streams of anybody. <laughs> but apparently people like this. I don't, I don't know. People think it's fun. I'm maybe, just going to do that then. Maybe it's sort of like, I, I, maybe it's the idea that they're also working on something themselves. So it feels like they're not working by themselves. You know, they're working on mm -hmm. some homework, they're working on some dev stuff, whatever they're doing. Like, it feels like you're working alongside this person to both try to get something done. Sound like a co-creation feeling. Yeah, yeah. Companionship. Yeah, the, that, that sounds really sad. It's like, I don't have any friends, so I'm going to watch this, this dude's stream programming. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, people like it. Mm -hmm. It's fun. And it helps the project because people see that there's a face behind the, the, the GitLab avatar. So it's working so far. Well, a lot of the stuff that you do seems to be stuff that you're just trying to get working for yourself. Like you were mentioning working on the stuff for your lights. Like that's part of the reason why I didn't want to buy any like fancy control controlled lights. Like my lights, they have knobs on them. I, I turn the knobs, mm. the lights change color. That's all I need to do. Mm. But it's it, it's nice that things like they're working on things like that. And then you've got the um um what do you call it, Boatswain, which is also Boatswain, nice. But that... I think the the proper way to pronounce it is yes. Boson, as far as I learned. Oh, <laughs> yes, you uh... learned. Yeah, it's uh, I think it's uh, sailors. I see. Uh, speech. It's a boson, not boatswain. Sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> but uh, for anyone who doesn't know what that is, that is a tool to control the uh, Stream Deck. Not Steam Deck. I don't know why Valve called it a Steam Deck when the Stream Deck already existed. Um, marketing. SEO. I'm sure that's, that was SEO Nightmare early on. Um... Stream Deck is a little street. It's basically like a a keypad that has little LED screens on it. You just light up, tell you what, like you you like your chat button there, whatever other buttons you want to use. And before things like this existed, like it was basically like a paperweight on Linux. I think there were, there might have been something that like half. They can worked. show you this. Ooh. This is one of the. I don't. No, if you can see from the yeah, camera, yeah, it's, there it's you go. Coming up just fine. It's literally just buttons. Mm -hmm. Just literally that. This is a mini version. I use it for my streams. It's pretty fun. Mm. And then obviously, you know, a couple of years back, there was the whole getting OBS working on Wayland situation. Which, you know, was right. very nice to have. I agree. <laughs> That honestly, I had to. Do you know why I did that? Uh, so you could use Wayland and stream. Exactly. I had to switch back to X11 whenever I wanted to stream, and that oh. was so disgusting to me <laughs> that I preferred to spend valuable time on oh, making so even back then, you'd fully swapped over to Wayland. Well, actually, when yeah, I've been using Wayland. Ah. Uh... I, I used Wayland, I compiled and used Wayland back when it was just a multiple XR sessions launcher back in 2008. Like, you can, you can even say that um, depending on 
how strict you are with the associations. You can say that that's a GNOME project because Christian, Christian is the person who ported all of GNOME to Git from uh, CVS, I think, CS, VCS, mm -hmm. from SVN, the, the sub whatever. I don't, I don't recall the, the acronym. But yeah, I've been using it basically since comment number 15. <laughs> Jeez. It was not useful sure, at the beginning. Sure, yeah. You could just launch different X11 sessions, and that's it. Mm -hmm. And it took like about a year to get into this point. But I, I found it really fantastic, and I kept uh, reading the back, the, the comment log every day. I, I joined, I, I entered the website and saw that. It's pretty fun. <laughs> Yeah, sorry and, for interrupting you. No, no. Um, and uh, and and now, yeah. Nowadays, it's actually, it's actually useful. Uh, <laughs> not not sustainable <laughs> in then. Um, yeah. I I first, I think I first discovered the work that you do when you did the the OBS uh, pipewire portal Wayland thingy. Um, because that was one of the reasons why. Because I I was interested in Wayland. Like I I was already. <laughs> thinking of trying out sway at the time but i i simply could not switch to wait on that point because i i don't do a dual capture system i don't use a capture card or anything i i to use obs capture my desktop so for me that was the first thing where that was like the first complete blocker like there are these, there are these things that are gonna stop certain people. And for me, like I simply could not use Wayland. Now it's more of a matter of WR Roots has this issue where their portal doesn't allow window capture, so that's oh. also a problem. Um, that's still the case. It is mm. still the case. Hyperland has a custom portal that does their own custom thing. Um, mm -hmm. so for me, my next exploration is going to be when Plasma 6 comes out, because that's, you know, their portal actually does the things I need it to do. Um, nice. and Gnome does it as well, so I could use Gnome, but Plasma 6 is where I'm going to be. I, 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 it would be funny if I actually swapped to Gnome, I would just, I, <laughs> my comments would be incredible. <laughs> um, I... <laughs> Oftentimes when I when I do or when I when I was doing streams on my main channel, I would if I was doing like a virtual machine, I would intentionally pick GNOME just because I wanted to see the comments I would get. Like when I did my <laughs> Linux from scratch series, my Fantastic. host VM was GNOME for no particular reason. Um <laughs> and, nice. <laughs> along with having um sounds enabled in the GNOME terminal, just because I want to be extra annoying. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you do it, buddy. That that's the so the, the purpose of GNOME is to annoy. You're using it right. <laughs> I really don't like the fact that you can have a bell in the terminal. I hate that so much. <laughs> you can disable that. You can. I hate the sound too. I always forget it's. It's one of those things that when I'm not looking at a terminal, it just completely vanishes out of my mind. And then when I'm using it, it happens rarely enough that I don't disable it on spot, but it happens just often enough to piss me off. <laughs> so I keep in this eternal loop of suffering without doing anything about it. <laughs> oh, yeah, whatever. Oh. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's fine. Just remember to, to get rid of it. And then it won't be a problem. I forget. Five seconds after we move on. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, you know, I feel like... Oh, go on. Um, you, were, you were mentioning, like, do things for yourself. Mm. And that's basically a lot of what I do. And if you go to my website, the, the subtitle of myself is Do software allow, allows me to scratch my own itches. Mm-hmm. And I do so intensely. Um, I feel like that summarizes the free software culture, or at mm-hmm. least what it's supposed to be. Um, if you have a problem, you just go there and, and so you have all the permissions. You don't have to ask anybody. Mm-hmm. Just do whatever you want. Somehow that shifted towards you have to do that for me because I don't know how to program and I'm not learning that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing that most people on Linux aren't programmers. Like this, it would be nice if there were more of, that. there were like everybody was a programmer, everybody did commit. But it does say a lot about the current state the desktop is in, the fact that there are people who don't have this technical knowledge who can actively use Linux. Like this is, it's a great thing in a sense until it comes back and gets all of the problems we talked about earlier. Yeah. Yeah, don't take me wrong, Brody. Mm. When I was young, I enjoyed coding. Mm. I hate coding now. (laughs) I only do that. I I think at this point I'm still I'm only still in coding mm-hmm. because the pains that I suffer force me to do so. I I wish I could stop. I'm not kidding. <laughs> there there's a lot of musical instruments behind me you can mm-hmm. see from I wish I could spend my entire days on them. Mm-hmm. Not fixing the goddamn USB portal because I cannot use audio and I don't have a portal, I'm going to have to do that too, or somebody's going to have to do that, and I'm going to have to review that and make that happen. I'm tired of this. I don't I don't like this. But it keeps scratching. Like, mm-hmm. I keep itching. <laughs> it keeps itching, you know? <laughs> See, look, you, you've only wasted your time if you give up. If you never give up, you never wasted your time. You have to think like a gambler, right? If you keep spending money, then <laughs> if, if, the second you stop spending money, that's when you've wasted all your money. Because the next spin, uh, you might win it all back. The uh, next line of code you write... Roll away from the big blow, right? <laughs> the, le- the next line of code you write might be the last line, and then everything is fixed. Oh, boy. That's how we do it here, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Please don't take what I throw at gambling. I actually do that. I do not encourage gambling. We do not condone gambling. Please, coding is not gambling if we don't we treat it like so. <laughs> oh god. No, I, I I get what you're saying though. Like, whilst I. How how would I say this? When you do something for a long time, you're going, like, pretty much anything. Eventually, the initial joy you had from it is... That, that's going to fade away. Like, you're not always going to be... 
going to be, hey, look, here's this exciting new thing that I learned. Obviously, you can try out new things, but once you start getting involved in, like, a specific set of projects, there's only so many times it can really excite you. Like, there's only so many times you can look at G-Object and be like, Alright. Let's go. <laughs> and it, ma it makes sense. But... I, as I said earlier, I, I am happy that you keep it going because it means that a lot of these things that, you know, like those lights you're talking about, a lot of these things can actually get dealt with at some point because someone feels like they want to spend time out of their day on this specific problem, on this, you know... I can't imagine that many people running Linux happen to have those lights, but you have them, and you want them to work, so you're gonna go and make them work. I'm gonna curse Elgato for not providing the driver for that, and then I'm gonna go to work on that. <laughs> That's usually the order of events. One thing yeah. that I, I... I feel like that's the hacker culture, you know? Yeah, that's yeah. essentially the hacker culture. One thing I definitely did want to did want to touch on is, so you're involved also in like the Brazilian side of the GNOME community, and I, I, I mentioned earlier I am I am a boring monolingual person that only knows English, so I have no idea what the FOSS world looks like outside of the English speakers. What mm -hmm. sort of like, how big is Linux in that Brazilian community? How, like, you know, other... Yeah, just go on any sort of tangent you want about that. Uh, a lot to talk about. It's a pretty big community in here. Mm. Um, look closely, you're going to find Brazilians everywhere. It is... I I think we are, like... We are like SCPs, you know? Before you know about them, you don't see them. But once you start seeing them, they are everywhere. <laughs> Every corner, there's one. Free software has been... Um... <laughs> you mentioned that, and then I just remember the fact... It's not Brazilians, but there's like three Filipino people in my Discord. Like... I, I don't know whether I I have like one percent Filipino audience. I don't know whether they where they all came from and why they all happen to be in the Discord. <laughs> but... We are a legion, buddy. <laughs> you may be one and you didn't even you didn't even notice. <laughs> it's a big community. We have yeah. like it's quite active. Mm -hmm. There's people contributing with code. There's people doing engagement. There's people doing marketing. There's people just talking about it and. It's pretty, it's pretty fun. It's pretty active. Mm -hmm. South America and basically all the Latin America um, sections of the planet are pretty. I feel like we are pretty deep into software. Gnome's a is a Mexican project, for all the matters. Um, don't know if you know about that, but it's a, essentially a Mexican project. Mm -hmm. um, Federico Mena and Miguel de Casa both. 
created it with a bunch of others in a Mexican university somewhere. I don't oh. remember the name of the city. Yeah, Federico is still around, by the way. It's pretty active in the community. Um, I'm not sure if there's much more to say, because if you look at only Brazilians, I think we made a mistake in the past where free software was promoted here in Brazil as um, gratis, you know, as right. cost-free software instead of the liberty to hack on this thing. Mm -hmm. And then it, it had a golden moment and then the, the, the wave fell and then it raised, it's raising again much more slowly, but I feel like more, it's much more, um, like on topic with the, with the values of free software. Mm -hmm. Like people are, the people joining are getting the, the, the whole concept. Right. I can say it like this. There are tons of. Latin Americans working on GNOME. I'll say I don't have numbers. We don't sure, sure. have numbers, but I'll say 30% of the community. But the fact that everybody speaks English is hides that away. Yeah, I guess I, that, I guess that makes sense. Huh. There are sub communities. I think French people are also um uh, massively into free software mm -hmm. and they have local communities i i i participate in the local communities problem of brazil that's just such a massive country it's hard to get people together mm -hmm. it's if you take if you take the northernmost point of brazil mm -hmm. it is closer to canada than it is to the southernmost point of brazil that's how <laughs> that's how tall this places it's difficult to get people together wait what the hell i fact checking I'm... that you can no no I, I i just looked up size of brazil and it's not that much smaller than the united states what the hell i yeah. did not realize it was that big yes it puts a lot of constraints on how much we can do in terms of like hack fests and right like in-person events and whatnot there's people that are, I, I am closer to like Argentinians than to most, a lot of people here in Brazil. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not as, as, it's not widely different from other places. Like I'm sure somebody in, our, in North America is going to complain about the wide country they have. I live in Australia. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Don't you guys have like a massive desert? That yeah, is so unbelievable. if you look at the um, population map of Australia, along the coastline, it's all population, and there's like a couple of dots in the middle where there are like um, mm. Aboriginal communities, where there are like mining towns, but the rest of it is completely empty. Sounds like a good place for free software to flourish. <laughs> empty place, no annoyances. That's fair. We can even grow our potatoes <laughs> together. <laughs> but yeah, it's pretty active. If you look close, if you look hard enough, you're gonna see that we are everywhere. Mm. People just don't notice. I guess, as you were saying before, the fact that you know English is sort of the default language on the internet, 
And if you're going to get involved with a lot of projects, you kind of have to know English to some extent. Obviously, there is, you know, even if you're doing translation, you still need to be able to speak the language that other people involved in the project know so you can, like, communicate that you want to do the translation. But, yeah, yeah, I guess. And a lot of people don't use their, like, actual names as well. So that also makes it a lot easier to hide as well. So, yeah, is that too? But um, you know, I try to get people together because for a long time, especially when I was starting to contribute to GNOME, I thought I was alone in Brazil. Mm-hmm. Um, and for like about two years, I didn't even realize that were there were other people in here were contributing as well. Nowadays, I have like my, on Fridays, I do, I have um, a show called. Uh, There's no good way to translate it. Like. Friday with GNOME, mm-hmm. something like that, um, where we just sit down and talk and get the community together in a in a virtual fireplace, you know. <laughs> um, I try to mix streams of um, English content and Portuguese content so that nobody's left out. And I wish I could know more languages. I was planning on doing some Spanish streams. Um, I even thought about doing a Japanese stream, but I don't really know too much Japanese to to <laughs> to do that live. I know a little bit complicated. <laughs> I, I I I can do an introduction. That's don't and I can like order some food and find get directions, ah. but don't expect me to do any sort of like actual discussion. That's not gonna happen. Brody Kung, it's a mission, sure. No, <laughs> gonna be complicated doing that live. Not gonna happen. Well, it's two and it's two thirty in the morning as well. My oh yes, look, I <laughs> if you try to get me to think in anything besides, look, I can barely think in English at this at this point. <laughs> but my brain's gonna fall apart. Um, we're actually almost coming up to the two hour mark, so. Unless there's anything you want to touch on, I guess we can start wrapping this up. Yeah, I think we covered a lot of ground here. Um, not sure if there's anything more relevant. I complain about a lot of stuff. <laughs> and I feel a little better now. Thanks for the free therapy. I just I just sat here <laughs> and listened to you. <laughs> You're acting like a therapist now. <laughs> Look, the the whole it, it's it's weird to be able to sit down with someone for two hours and just talk. Like, how yeah. often do you just like a one on one conversation with someone for two whole hours? Probably not that often. It's not ever. often, yeah. And I'm gonna be pretty tired. My social battery is not the biggest, but I enjoy this. I. Kind of activity I, that I have to do a little bit mm-hmm. every often, every so often. Otherwise, things derail. But I cannot do much more than that. <laughs> well, I I had a lot of fun. I th- there was some interesting philosophical discussions about open source, free software, FOSS, whatever term you feel like you want to use, and. I hope the people got something useful out of this and 
yeah, I, I, I'm sure there's going to be. I, I will make sure I specifically clip out that segment on, uh, harassment and stuff. And I'm sure, I'm sure people are gonna have some some words to say on that one. Um, but until then, uh, let people direct people somewhere your blog anything you want to send them to any link you want to give them mm. i think people can follow me on github it's um george's Savrakas on github mm -hmm. um because i've been doing a lot of work in that particular space so you whoever follows in there can check what's going on mm -hmm. been doing some um been working on portals recently but I also do some mockups for OBS Studio. Um, I just realized we didn't even talk about moving on the... We talked about OBS for like a, yeah. a little bit. We talk about most of it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's uh, content for next time. I've been trying to send some mockups to the OBS community so that they can have some guidelines for new interfaces that they want. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, apparently, people are enjoying this, so I, I'll keep doing it until. As long as it's useful, I'll keep doing this. And. It's pixels on screen. It's much easier to see that than code. So mm -hmm. feel free to, people should feel free to check that out. I have a website. I blog. Sometimes. Not very often. When was the last one? Fianeron.com. Oh, the last one was last month. Username. It was extending the month to infinity. Yes. And I did some pretty artwork with Blender for that blog post. <laughs> I'm pretty proud of that. <laughs> Even some animations Ooh. on Blender. It was it was difficult. Nice. It was not easy. Oh, that, oh wow, that is really cool. Pretty proud of it. <laughs> and then you have the uh, YouTube as well. If anyone wants to pop into the uh, uh, live the live coding yeah. sessions, have a look. Yeah, if people like seeing other people suffering with coding, you have my YouTube channel. Um, it's also George's Tavrakas uh, YouTube handle. But you can just search for like Gnome. Oh, you can search for the last stream's title, like Popcorn ASMR, and you're going to find it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, have multiple links. People should feel free to reach out if they want to talk too. Thanks for having me, Brody. It was super fun. Yeah, thank you for doing this. This was, this was awesome. And, uh... wait, it was. It was Skelly, yeah, it was Skelly that mentioned you wanted to do, you'd be interested in doing this, wasn't it? Yes. I think it was. Skelly bridged us. Yes, yes. Thank you, Skelly, for, I've been meaning to get in contact with you for a while. Um, I'm just lazy. Uh, <laughs> there, there, are, there are a lot of people in the FOSS that I want to talk to. Um, so it's good to have a filter on who definitely wants to do it. So that's less people to, to get in contact with. Um, yeah. So if there's nothing else you want to mention, I'll do uh, my outro. Awesome. Um, I've got the gaming channel, Brody on Games. Uh, right now I'm playing through the new game plus of Armored Core 6, and I probably hate my life. And I'm playing through Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop Distance, uh, which is less hate my life. Assuming my internet connection is working, which is a uh, big if right now. Uh, we're getting some stuff dealt with, and hopefully I will have more than a 6 megabit up when my ISP decides to do their job. Uh, the main channel is Brody Robertson. I do Linux videos there six-ish days a week. Not a clue to be out there. 
uh check it out maybe there'll be something fun i don't know I, I this comes out in a while like week or two uh there'll be something there i don't know uh if you listen to the audio version of the, the if you're listening to the audio version of this tech of a t on youtube at yeah this is going terribly if you're watching the video version of this you can find the audio on any audio podcast platform there is an rss feed as uh, iTunes and stuff. Put the RSS feed in your favorite app. I like AntennaPod. Good to go. Uh, give me the final word. What do you want to say? I saw you laughing there the entire time. Just laughing out of her suffering. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing else you want to say? Just that? <laughs> I'm just going to leave it. Okay. I saw Brody suffering and I was happy with that. See you guys later.